You're listening to After the Encore, the music podcast that explores what happens after the music fades, what happens after the encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's edition of the podcast, we're bringing to you another installment of the series Dirty Pop. And this time, I'm speaking to Nathan Walters. Nathan, who is one-fifth of the boy band Plus One. We heard from his bandmate, Nate Cole, previously, but now we're talking to Nathan Walters. He is a Billboard charting music producer, songwriter, film TV composer. When he was a member of the boy band Plus One, sold over 1.2 million albums. He's worked with a ton of people, and I know you're absolutely going to enjoy this episode. We talk about his early career, his Plus One career, and then also his music production. So much goodness in this episode. Cannot thank Nathan enough, but enough about me, enough about this episode. Just stick around, because Nathan Walters is right up after this. When you want to break down and cry I'll make your promises you can love me The kind of love you can trust For escape from hopelessness, yeah Don't you know that you can come to me You're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I am thrilled to be here with the man... With the plan, because he's always working on something. Nathan Walters. Nathan, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. Been looking forward to it. I'm excited because, you know, I feel like uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording. I feel like I know so much about you secondhand because we've had Nate on the show. Nate talked quite a bit about Plus One. Talked to Nate offline as well. And then you and I have chatted offline. and, And then I realized, like, we've never had a formal conversation. We've never seen each other, that kind of a thing. So. I'm excited to dig into this stuff and to dig into the music and your background. There's so much goodness, uh, not only just with Plus One, but then also with all of your uh, music production, how you work with artists nowadays. Uh, You're still uh, working on your own stuff as well as helping Mm -hmm. artists. So a lot of goodness to get into. But first of all, here at After the Encore, I I like to kick off and kind of level set the conversation a a bit. And uh, so I'll do that here with you, Nathan. I want to know, what does music mean to you? Yeah, yeah, okay. So I would say right now music um currently what it means to me um <laughs> it's just it's everything really. It's my whole life, okay? And um yeah. but but it's a tool that I use personally um to relax, uh to connect with God, to bring a peaceful atmosphere. I mean, you know, I do music production throughout the day, so I'm I'm doing lots of different styles of music, but when I'm um, when I want to relax, I sit down at the piano and I do more music. <laughs> you would think I would do something else, but, <laughs> but I sit down at the piano and I and I just play. And that um, I, I see I see the power of, of music. You know, I feel like you you people have their other ways of relaxing, but for me, it literally is like a tool, like this magic tool that um, that I you know I developed sk- the skill of playing the piano, and 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 it's really. I've seen the power of it later in these years, or I've noticed it, how it just changed the at- changes the atmosphere, allows me to open myself up to um, yeah, just having a more peaceful experience, and really it opens up a scenario with, with I'm not trying to jump and be like a spiritual, but to God, you know, it's a, way, it's a gateway for me yeah. to open up, you know, praying and things like that, so, um, but yeah, that, that's what music is, it's a tool. <laughs> I... Uh... <laughs> 
you said something that really that I want to I want to circle back on. You talked about it changes the atmosphere, yeah. and that is I feel the best way someone has explained this oh, cool. um, almost spiritual esque quality of music, yeah, yeah. right? Like it it literally. I mean, we talk about it. It's um it's the soundtrack of our lives. I've heard someone else say, yeah. right? It's like if you're if you're excited, you're putting on a music to dance to to be excited. If you're if you're going through something, you're grieving or you're sad, you're gonna put on some music in the background, help you process a lot of those emotions and everything in between. You got music on in the mall as you're walking around. You got music in the car that's just on as background oh, yeah. noise. It's it's all over the place, and it has the power to change the atmosphere in such a yeah. way as you, as you mentioned to have that, that ethereal, that, that spiritual connection. Yeah. And, and in a lot of ways it becomes a form of meditation, yeah. a form of worship, yeah. a form of community. Mm-hmm. There's a, a, there's such power in the, in, in the tool, using the tool of music and having it um, kind of envelope yeah. you in in its arms. So to speak. Yeah. I think, um, like you said, it's everywhere, and and you know, I I think a lot of people notice that, but there are some who may not know how much it influences them. You know, a movie. I do a lot of, um, yep. you know, scoring for commercials and film and TV things, and and that you know, so I I, I literally I'll be sent a blank, a video with no music, and you know, it it looks a lot different than when you put music to it. And the music I've seen it like it it changes it dramatically you, you can you can make or break the visual you can make it be like this the same visual could look like it's something scary is about to happen or something really happy all because of the kind of right. music you you put behind it um but yeah i think uh, music is is a gateway f- for the good to let us be opened up to um good ideas and influence us like movies they you need music for the movies it's like a lot of a yeah. lot of what they're trying to get across in a movie, if there's like an underlying, you know, uh, agenda or whatever, you know, or just, you know, right. it's like the music really yeah. helps people open up and, and kind of, yeah, open up and, and take in what they're yeah. saying. And without that music, you would just kind of like the chances of you checking out and not really listening is, is very high. But with that music, you know, if it's done yes. right, it's, uh, it's pretty powerful. You know, there's a, there's a scene and and I promise if you're listening, you're like, well, where's the Nathan Walter story? We're getting there. Oh yeah. But there's a there, we're talking about the music, and there's a scene. I don't know if you, have you seen the movie The Holiday with Jack oh, Black yeah. uh-huh. and and yeah. yeah. So Jack Black does what you're talking about. He's 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 in the movie. His character scores mo- uh, uh, scores yeah. the movies, and so he's in the the blockbuster R.I.P. and he's pulling off different movies, and he's like. There's so so much like the Chariots of Fire theme song. He's like, this is iconic. The Jaws theme song. He's like, two yeah. notes, and you've got a movie villain, yeah. right? And he's going on and on, and it, and and it's funny. But then you take a moment, and you're like, yeah, but those songs defined those movie uh-huh. moments. What do we think about when we think about Chariots of Fire? We think about the 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 song and the slow motion uh-huh. running, and what are we thinking about with Jaws, right? And and all and the Sound of Music was another one that he brings up, right? And so I think it it does. It, it, we have shared experiences is what I'm getting to when, when we're thinking about these moments of our lives. I was thinking about, I mean, the, this bringing it back around to this podcast, when we think about the, the this series of, of interviews, the Dirty Pop, and we're talking about uh, former former boy band individuals, yeah. when it, putting these together and then and then putting together the next one with, with artists that were part of Christian music, such as Bleach yeah. um, and, and Hawk Nelson, 
I think about where I was oh. when I was listening to Plus One, and I was in India, and I was at the Taj Mahal, oh, wow. and it was one of two CDs I could take wow. with me. So that was so the promise is burned into That's my cool. brain, and I'm thinking about where I was, right? And then I'm like, I got Hawk Nelson when I was here, and so oh, all yeah. of these music moments connect us to a time in our yeah. life uh, with the community, and so mm-hmm. it, it's reflective. That's yeah. cool. There's a you know there's quite a few CDs or, or songs that do that for me. There's one that comes to mind. Um, my family kind of, they don't make fun of me, but they actually, they, they, they get, they get that this is my thing, but there's this flamenco music, you know, like Spanish guitar, flamenco kind of oh, style. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, um, I, uh, I don't even know the title of it, but it's the CD and really that kind of style of music. When I, when I listen to it, it immediately transports me back into, um, you know, these, Actually, a time in my life, the beginning of Plus One, when it started, you know, started to happen, where, you know, the record wasn't out, but we're recording in L.A., I was in Santa Monica, um, you know, all that was very new to me. I came from Florida, never been to California, you know, so all of these first-time experiences and really high moments were were seared with this soundtrack of this flamenco music that was playing in the lobby, you know, and so every time I um, to this day I'll go on Spotify and, and play that, and it immediately transports me back, and I I have those highs, you know, of like, oh wow, yeah. life is exciting. There's there's so much adventure and and things to explore, you know, which there still is. But when you're that young, years right. ago, you're, it's even yes. heightened because you have no idea what's gonna happen. And um, so it's just kind of cool. Sometimes, you know, I, I, I will put that CD on to kind of transport myself back and get those feelings. And it's, it's super amazing that me, just music can do that. So. And that's a great segue uh, as we're talking about the beginning of Plus One and we're talking about being young and things, you know, opportunities. I want to take it back even before okay. then. So you talked about being from Florida. Mm-hmm. So I want uh, and, and you talked about the piano a fair bit at the beginning. So I want you to. Walk us through what some of those, what some of your earliest forays into music were. Um, did you come from a musical family? Uh, did, who were some of your early influences? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I came from a musical family. Um, I grew up in Florida. I was born in Atlanta, Georgia. We moved to uh, Connecticut for a tiny bit, but grew up in Florida. And um, my my mom played the piano. My dad played the piano. Um, there was a time, you know, I was get, I was, you know, given piano lessons, and uh, I started at seven on the piano lessons. And then there was a time where I was like, I'm tired of the piano. I hate it. I want to go outside. And my mom and dad just didn't let me. Do, they're like, you have to keep doing the piano. It's important, you know. And I hated the piano for a season, and then, um, you know, and I, st- you know, stuck with it. And it probably wasn't until I, you know, I started. You, you find yourself when I, I know, I know what happened. I, I remember hear my mom play, and then I realized my mom's not as good as me. I, like, I literally surpassed her, you know what I mean? And I went, wait a minute. I'm Yeah, act- I know yeah that was the aha, one of the aha moments. Like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm actually, I've got something here, you know? And, and, um, and so that, that, you know, fueled it a little bit, although I still was like, what's the point of playing the piano? I would just go up and down on it. Um, but there was a season where I got inspired, and there was this piano um uh, classical and actually i think yeah considered christian classical piano artist named dino and i think it's dino oh, i don't even want to try to say his last name dino Carza something i'm butchering his name but he went by um dino and um almost kind of like like a christian liberace you know <laughs> yeah okay okay and uh, you know flashy everything flashy ring yeah. and all that and he was really great at you know playing piano 
so that I would so for a season I was like wow maybe I could do that you know I I, I wasn't necessarily a singer I, I I could sing in choir but I never really thought of myself as a singer and I thought okay maybe I could play the piano so I went out and bought his piano books and started learning those all the runs and 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 you know more classical kind of music. Um, it was actually Christian songs done in a classical way, you know. Dun, 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 okay. Da, 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 yeah. Yeah. And so as I would learn that, I was like, wow, okay. I, I saw myself growing. And then I, I started liking piano, you know. And then and then it, it, did, it did help that I would be at church and I'd play piano like, you know, in, in a room off to the side at the wedding chapel or something. And, and then when, when people would come and they'd go, wow. What are you playing? You know, then I started going. Wait a minute, this is cool. People <laughs> like this, you know. So, you know, my my mind's growing. I'm young, you know, and um, right. and then especially when the girls, you know, started liking. I'm like, okay, I got something here. <laughs> and uh, but then, but even then, there was a time where I was like, man, I think I'm gonna give this up and and uh, do uh, I don't know. I think it was I was also into taekwondo or taekwondo. I don't even know how to say it anymore. Yeah. Uh, martial arts. Taekwondo. Yeah. yeah. Is it Thai? Taekwondo, right? Uh, that's how I've yeah, always heard it. I think it. you're so right. That's what I think they said in right. the Olympics early last year. And uh, you know, I I got all the way up to uh, I was about to test for my black belt. I was really into it, and I, I decided to stop. But that being said, um, you know, I was trying to figure out what I want to do, and and uh, this was the real when I talk about a, an aha moment. My dad was like, he could tell I was really about to give up on piano, and he said, "Hey, I'll give you twenty dollars." And back then, twenty bucks was a lot. I, I think it was. 13 yeah. or something like that. I'll give you $20 to learn this song. And it was a really hard uh, piece of classical music, very long. And, and I was like, okay, I want that $20. And I know I can do this. <laughs> and so I, yeah. I started practicing that piano and over and over again, you know. And um, and I learned that song really hard. Well, that really unlocked this thing in me where I was like, wow, I, I didn't know my fingers could do this. And, and then I started loving the piano. And so, you know, I was homeschooled. And... Um, I went. It went from them, my family, my mom and dad, telling me, you know, you gotta practice the piano. It went from that to, okay, Nathan, get off the piano, because I was on it like three, four, five <laughs> hours a day, you know, driving them crazy. Wow. Yeah. Cause, and I loved it, you know. And it was all just classical music, you know. And um, I didn't really get into the pop thing yet, you know. I would listen to some stuff here and there. I was really into the Mickey Mouse Club. Do you remember that one in the '90s, the Mickey Mouse Club? I mean, they've always had different versions. Yes. But yeah. Yes, and in fact, former guest of the podcast, Tony Luca, oh, was yeah. on okay. the Mickey Mouse yeah, Club. Uh, so yeah, so shout out if you're listening to this oh, and cool. you're like Mickey Mouse Club. We do a whole we go we do a deep dive uh, into MMC. That's cool uh, from the '90s. So well, yes, you know, I, as a kid, a I did bar. even though I was playing classical music, I, I did watch. You know, I think it was five o'clock or five thirty that came on every day, and I was like, oh, I want to be on the Mickey Mouse Club. I don't I don't really right. sing too well, but I think I could. And um, <laughs> and I actually went and auditioned for the Mickey Mouse Club. And um, oh yeah, whoa. I, I went and um, I didn't make it, but it, you know, I kind of got. It was the day of, kind of got narrowed down, uh, kind of narrowed down. Wait, yeah, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> hold, hold on a second. We, I need to pause because, because truthfully, yeah. Tony and I did a did a he he did the auditions, oh. he did the finals. So I need to know where were okay. you in the United yeah. States when you did I was, this? This is in Orlando at the Marriott Hotel, and I okay. was. I think I was. 13 or 13 or 12 so okay and what year what year, what year was I'm, this? I'm gonna be 44 in march so whatever the math is on that you want to do it real quick? Okay. <laughs> nope i'm off the we, clock we can um, we can find that out I'll, I'll try to find that out but but um yeah i don't know the, yeah, the exact year but i i think you i think you may have been in the same stratosphere I will, and like i think that girl is her name felicity 
she was like a uh, yeah yes I think, was she on the yeah. Mickey Mouse Club? Okay. Yes, he and uh, well, she and Tony uh, dated for okay. quite a bit. Carrie, Carrie Russell, maybe yeah. Okay, is that yeah? Because I just know. Yes. Uh, I'm almost ninety percent sure that she was at the audition. She was yeah. in the. Yeah. So he was in the audition with her because they went in at the same so time. Was at the same audition. So I yes, was? the world. Oh, wow. This world continues <laughs> to get smaller and smaller wow. and smaller. So yes. So if you're listening to this and you're like, "Whoa, I want to hear the other side of this." Um, season two. This is the voice, Tony Luca. We did a section on it, but That's that is. Cool. Insane. Okay, so you so so let's bring it back yeah. around to Nathan. So you were getting um, it was getting narrowed down. You didn't make it, but it was getting narrowed down. And then what happened after that? Uh, yeah. So what happened is then um, I was thinking, okay, cool. Like my my hopes got up because you know it's like when I say narrowed down, it was like okay, everybody, we're gonna call your name, and if we call your name, you gotta leave the room. So that first round, mm. they didn't call my name. I'm like, cool, all right, you know. And and then my hope is, you know, I'm like, this is exciting. It's gonna work. And then. Um, did some more dancing and singing and uh and then they said okay we're gonna call your name and this time they called my name i was like eh. i was devastated mm. i think i cried actually i mean not in front of everyone but i was like because eh. my hopes were so high i'm such an optimist to where if things don't work sure. out you know I'm big i'm a big dreamer to a to a fault sometimes i hear and, you um, <laughs> i'm right there with you <laughs> but i think you have to be in order to succeed in in well anything maybe <laughs> maybe i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but definitely the entertainment world. You got to dream big, you know, and right. be in denial yeah. a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, so I didn't make the Mickey Mouse Club. So that was crushing, you know, to me. But I went back home and um, uh, actually I, I lived majority of my life in Central Florida near Orlando in a, in a city called Lakeland, Florida. And those auditions were in Orlando, you know. Um, but at that time we had moved to Tallahassee, Florida, north the capital of Florida, for uh, for about a year. So I drove down from Tallahassee, or my dad drove me down all the way to Tallahassee, or from Tallahassee to um, um, Orlando for that audition. So anyway, so I go back to Tallahassee, devastated, but I'm like, that's fine, I got the piano, so I'll keep doing this classical music, you know, doing that. Um, so that's what I did, and then, um, and then, probably a year later, we moved back to Central Florida, back to Lakeland, Florida, and um, we went to this big church called Carpenter's Home Church. It was like a 10,000-seat auditorium. It, it's actually not there anymore. They they uh, demolished it, sadly. Um, mm. But, um, yeah, it was a big influence in my life because um, it was a big church. You know, I was able to be in... I, I actually dabbled in musical musical theater in some ways, you know, at the church because they would do these big yep. productions, like literally with camels and horses and lions and tigers. <laughs> not lions and tigers, but camels <laughs> and horses. And and, and there right. was these big plays, and I would be in it, and I would sing from stage and, and you know, an act, you know, that whole thing, theater, overact, you know. <laughs> right. And, um, and, then, um, and then somewhere in there, um, yeah, sometimes I, w- I would play piano, like a solo during church, you know, and and things like that. But I never really sang. I, I guess I would sing here and there. And then it wasn't till I was in youth group. I think I was fourteen years old, and um, they were giving out prizes, like you know, cassette tapes. Okay, that's how long ago this was. Cassette tapes and CDs. Was it a? Did you get any uh, Carmen cassette that tapes? That was my, my my house. That was my first uh, cassette tape. Actually, was Carmen <laughs> radically saved? I'm just yeah. radically saved. Oh man, I love that CD. It, it, now looking back, I'm like he wasn't even necessarily a singer; he was an inter- entertainer, you know. And yeah, uh, man, I remember I would literally act. Go, I would act out in my room by myself in front of the mirror. Would act out all the parts, all the Carmen stuff, you know, and just dream and learn. Yeah. And and I basically learned how to perform, which in, later 
you know, I took yeah. that with me with plus one and other things. It's like I was I was learning to do that. And so I now I encourage my kids. I have two kids now. Um, uh, five. One, my son is five and my daughter is uh, almost nine. And um, sometimes I'll catch my son, um, you know, kind of doing things like that, talking and looking at the mirror or, or acting or actually what he'll do. He'll pull up the laptop and instantly act like he's doing a YouTube show. Hey, guys, everybody, I'm on YouTube, you know. And so I, I will <laughs> encourage, I, I make sure, even though it's so cute, I make sure not to make him feel like I'm making fun of him or belitt- belittling right. him because I, I see how important yes. that is. And I'm like, yeah, you should do that. Daddy used to do that, too. <laughs> um, right. So anyway, um, so what's I saying? I, yeah, that Carmen CD, yeah. <laughs> you, yeah, you were get, well, you were getting, so they were giving out cassette <laughs> okay, tapes yeah. uh, as prizes. So yeah. um, there were, it was in the youth group. I was 14. They, they, they threw out a, a cassette tape, and it was Michael W. Smith, you know, Christian artist. Oh, and um, uh, yes. it was the Go West Young Man record. And so I, oh, my yeah, God. I, huge. Yes, we had that. That was a frequently played So I was, you know, here, here I was playing very into classical music, Playing, you know, all this stuff. Got the Michael W. Smith CD, and then, uh, or not CD, cassette, and yep, and I on. and I put it in. The first record, or first song is um, "Go Go Western Man." You know. Actually, I remember hearing this on the Christian radio. Okay, I know this guy. And then Place in This World, you know, I was like, whoa. Well, anyway, mm-hmm. I was hooked instantly. That whole record, I'd played that over and over again. And I and I think that was my real beginning uh, stages of me learning or, or at least noticing how songwriting happened. Because I would look at the credits and see he wrote these mm. songs. And I appreciate and I, and I don't know if I noticed it, but I started to dissect and go, wait a minute, I see that there's, there's these hooks. Like, you know, I'm looking for a reason. Roam through the night to find my hook. Place in this world, hook. Place in this world. And so I realized, okay, I see what they're doing. It's very simple, repetitive. Okay, I can do that, you know. Feels like I'm looking for a reason. And so I was so used to overplaying, you know, classical music runs and like I felt like I had to hit every key on the piano. I went from that to realizing I got to dumb down, you know, or minimize my playing 
to these chords that are like ding 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 you know and um and 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 years later i realized you know that's because you got to fit in with a band you know you can't you know yeah (laughs) but um but so i I learned that and, and i realized i know how to play classical music but i really don't know how to play chords although you're technically sure. hitting chords in classical music, you know. Or pre- right, pre-gios. but I, yeah, I hear and you. And so I had to, I, I, I started going back to a piano teacher at, at my church. I was like, can you teach me chords? He's like, yeah. That was huge for me. His name was Gary, horrible, I don't know his last name. Uh, it's been years. And, and uh, yeah, Gary, Gary the piano teacher. <laughs> and uh, he, he, he just showed me. He was very patient, showed me all these chords and the different inversions, you know, root position, second position, third position, and forced me to, to learn how to hit them in, in, in any position, you know, no matter where I'm at. And I don't know most piano players will see that, that makes sense. If you don't play piano, you're, you're going to be like, what? doesn't make sense. But, um, but basically it helped me um, learn how to do chords, and that was huge because then I started playing for my church band, uh, youth group, and then those kinds of things started opening up opportunities for me to – to um, perform kind of more in that Christian music realm as far as, you know, um, kind of like what, well, which kind of led to me doing the plus one, really, you know. And yeah. um, so that's that's how I merged out of the classical thing. I still played. I still loved classical music, but I started, like, writing, and I would literally had a little keyboard. I think it was a Casio keyboard, very cheap keyboard, brought in my, <laughs> my bed, and I would lay down and play and write these songs. And literally, I'm not joking, I would literally play myself to sleep. I would be playing because oh, I'd be wow. like singing, and then I would literally fall asleep. And like, oh my gosh, oh, it'd be like you know, twelve o'clock at night or one in the morning. <laughs> like, I'm I'm asleep. The lights are on, keyboards on my on my stomach. I'm laying down. Wow, that would happen often, and um, it's, I was just, uh, obsessed with with the, with that, and I and I would sing these song, write these songs in my falsetto because it was late at night, so I was trying to be quiet. So, and I, I already have right. a high voice, but I would write these songs even <laughs> higher, like you know. <laughs> so then when I would go to like people, hey, let me hear some songs you've written. I'd be like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll play them. And I realize, wait a minute, they're so high. I can't even <laughs> use my chest voice to sing this. And I'm not great right. at transposing <laughs> it yet. And so um, so there, there was a lot of learning learning curve for me. But Michael W. Smith was a huge influence. I was obsessed in, you know, we can go down that, that path if you want, but I'll touch on it lightly. I was so obsessed. He, going back to this big church that I went to, Carpenter's Home Church, Ten thousand thing. They yeah. a lot of Christian artists would come through there and perform. DC Talk, Amy sure. Grant. I mean everybody, and, and Michael W. Smith. Yeah. And and he came through a, a few times. And because I went to church there, and I, and I knew a lot of people. You know, security guards and 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 they they would always kind of <laughs> you know I could just walk around the place kind of you know if I was cool about it. Sure. And, yeah. And so that's what happened. You know, I would go backstage even though I wasn't supposed to at a Michael W. Smith show. <laughs> I go backstage and. Um, I would, you know, just while Michael and and everybody's eating in the in the green room or, or the lunch room, I I would go back there, you know, and 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 be like, hey, I literally was on my way to walk up to Michael and be like, hey, um, will you listen to me? Can I play you a song? And there's a piano right by him, and you know, and right. his his road manager intercepted and said, hey, where's your badge? You can't. <laughs> and and now now looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, that was so extreme. That was such a fan, such a fanatic fan. You know, like you're crazy. You don't do that. Let him have his. Let him be, you know, give him a... So yeah. funny is, funny thing is that guy who intercepted me and told me, hey, you can't be back here. Turns out years right. later, so I was probably 16 or 17 when I did that. That's embarrassing. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> who hasn't done embarrassing things uh, at 16 or 17? I was 17, driven. Right? <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to be like Michael W. Smith. You know, I was so... I wanted, you know, yeah. 
And um, and so uh, this guy who did who, who told me, hey, you can't be back here. His name is Joey Ciccolini. And um, years later, when we did our Plus One tour, we hired out a road manager, and it was Joey Ciccolini. And I saw him, and I was like, <laughs> hey, do you remember me? He's like, I know exactly who you are. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. And he's like, yeah, we actually talk about it, you know, us and Michael. I'm like, no, no. They, they're like, you know, oh, there's Nathan. That's the guy who... Be like, oh, that's so embarrassing. Yeah. But it was cool. I mean, well, yeah. oh man, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, we're gonna come right back to the plus one. So you're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and we'll be right back after this. You make me feel secure. You have given me over, and now I know I'm sure. I was so messed up, like a way you turned around my face. When I thought you were just something up in outer space. That's not the case. You're more real to me than what can make you out to be on the TV. Can you turn me up? Cause you know we're getting serious. When we talk about the invisible, it's clear to us. Welcome back to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I am here with Nathan Walters, my plus one, and we're going to talk about <laughs> yeah. plus one at this point. So we've we've talked about your musical upbringing, which is incredible, and the, the, the listening to music, being inspired by music, having played all the classical music, and now coming back and, and, and learning the chords and, and getting the, the teaching in order to be able to play pop music, Christian music, different... Yeah kind of music other than yeah. classical music so now how do we bridge the gap from you're working with your your teacher yeah. um to you're in plus yeah. one that's, that's a, a lot, lot. I can so i can make it feel short. free yeah. to like take your time um, so you know um i when i learned how to play more like a pops play, piano player <laughs> contemporary <laughs> then then i started you know writing and um and singing and then i thought okay i guess i gotta try to do a demo and uh, right. and so I went and I found um, somebody uh, to do. Oh yeah, it was my first real studio experience. I went and, and I, I pro. Oh, I I talked my dad into buying me or fronting the money. I paid him back for it. Uh, a keyboard that you could program out on. It was like a, I think it was like three thousand oh. dollars or something. It was a, it was a Korg. Wow. Korg I2. I know exactly what it was. It's actually in this closet behind me. I still have it. <laughs> and, it's, and, um, and, it and, and, and I still have all, back then, it was like if you, you could program these tracks, you know, out on there, the bass, drums, all the, everything, and then you save it on a floppy disk, right? Or hard, a hard, yes. a hard yes. floppy disk, whatever. A yeah, hard, hard disk. disk. Yeah. Hard disk. Is that what they called it? The hard, because you had the floppy and then you had the smaller. So it was a smaller one. Yeah. And, and and so yeah. and so I had many songs. It was only, only enough information for one song, you know. And I wrote like you know a bunch of songs. So I, I would I would go and perform live at my youth group, or sometimes these these festivals that the church would have outside, and they would bring in some some big artists coming through, and they and they would let me open up for them, you know. And um and so I would I had to load in a song at a time, and sometimes it would take like thirty seconds to let that song load, you know. And so yeah. I um. I, I I thought I, I had to try to get good at 
loading the song in while it's loading and I'm multitasking, pushing the buttons that bring the song up. I also have to, have to be talking, going, "Hey guys, my name's Nathan." You know, this next song is called whatever. You know, and then when it doesn't load, I'm like, and 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 now I know this about myself. Back then, I thought it was just because I was living in Florida and the humidity. But whenever I get just a little nervous, I just start sweating really bad. Yeah. So oh, no. most of my shows, you know, I'm like drenched in sweat. <laughs> and um and uh anyway so so that being said i um i started performing at church and i started um just crafting that that skill and and realizing i need to take this to the next level i think i need a, a bit, uh, all of the records i'm listening to they were recorded in nashville and you know christian music really based out of nashville i was like i gotta i gotta go to nashville and i didn't know what that meant that meant moving there or taking trips but i was eight seventeen i was 17 again and um I was like, I talked to my mom and my grandmother to take me up to, we live in Florida, take me up to Nashville, Tennessee. We drove up. It's a 12-hour drive. And I said, I want to go to this thing called GMA, called Gospel Music, uh, Gospel Music Association has this Gospel Music Week. And it's the week of what they call Dove Awards. And Dove Awards is like the Christian Grammys. Yes. And uh, Christian Music Grammys. And um and I uh, and and I had watched that on TV the Dove Awards people win Dove Awards I thought oh this is so cool and and back then it was actually a bigger deal than what it is now I don't think they even they yeah. call the K Love Awards but maybe it's the Dove Awards too but um but anyway so I was like wow this is amazing so I I didn't ha- if you want to go to that Gospel Music Week um they give you a bunch of classes you can go and these teachers will teach you and how to you know do a demo how to promote your work how to songwrite how to whatever you know whatever a- avenue you yeah. want to pursue and but it was like I, I yeah I didn't have the money at the time to to do that and I was like well I told my mom just take me up there and I'll figure it out you know I learned early on the power of networking you know so I I had my backpack yeah. I'm 17 you know I think I was 16 17 <laughs> had my backpack um had some cassette demo tapes that I had recorded in Lakeland and <laughs> um and you know some of them were just me and the piano oh yeah it was me singing to the tracks I made that's what it was. And yeah, and yeah. um and so I would just meet people while the event was happening at this hotel downtown Nashville called the Renaissance Hotel I think, um I would stay in the lobby of that hotel and wait for the sessions to end and everybody would be walking through you know the hotel and I would just be interacting with everybody who went there but then also like all the big stars Michael W Smith would come back through I'd be like hey remember me you know um and then uh just <laughs> can I play yeah, your song I, I literally hey we listen to my tape he's like yeah I listen to it you know and uh I do that quite often to him anyway um so in, but a lot of artists you know came through and um and I actually met some people um during that time I, I've kept in contact with now that you know, it wasn't like make or break my... Actually, it did open up doors. Yeah, every relationship helps in some scenario. But um, yeah, I met, mm-hmm. I met um, some some songwriters there and that really were encouraging, you got to do it, you got to go for it. So I would go back every year, and I went for four years, three three or four years, and I would do the same oh, thing. Wow. I, I would always sit in the hotel, in the lobby, and just wait. And it was, this, is, this, is an, this is an eight-hour game I'm playing, you know? <laughs> I'm like working <laughs> around, with you know? And... Um, so I did that, and somewhere in there I met a guy named uh, Joe Ho- uh, Chris Hogue, and he was an artist and songwriter, and, he- and he's like, my brother's Joe Hogue, who was a music producer who produced um, many other artists, Christian artists at the time, but his at the time, the reason he stuck out to me, I was like, well, this is the guy who produced um, the DC Talk Free at Last record, you know? 
Mm, and I was like, yeah. oh, cool. I get a chance to maybe um, have him do my demo, you know? And um, they're like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll do your demo. So I th- I think they were like, yeah, we'll do a demo for this kid. I don't think they were like, oh, wow, this kid's got something. Maybe. I don't know. I, right. I don't, it wasn't like that. I think they were like, hey, cool. This kid maybe got something, but he's driven. We'll do the demo. We'll see what happens. Because, you know, I paid him for it and all that. And and um, and went up to Nashville and did that. And, and this is... He as a producer, he spoke into it, and I want to do something more like Michael W. Smith. And he's like, "I think you should do a song that's really like pop, kind of like In Sync." And I was like, "Who's In Sync?" You know? He's like, "Oh, it's this band. Oh, yeah, it's this band. This is before In Sync really blew up here. This is how long it's like. This is a band yeah. in Europe, you know? And it's like they're they're gonna blow up. They're big." And I was like, "Okay, well, yeah, I'm open to it." And so he he produced the track. Very, you know, boy bandy like. I didn't know that it was a boy band thing then. I'm just like, and so, and right. I was like, "What is this?" And um. And actually, do you remember the artist? Um, what was his name? Oh, I can't think of his name. There's another Christian artist who did a lot of pop music. Eric Clapton. No, not Eric Clapton. I probably. Eric, uh, hang on. Eric. Uh, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm going blank on this. Uh, if I think of it, let me know. Anyway, he was very pop music. And it wasn't Tony Vincent, yeah. but it's kind of like, I don't know. Were you into Christian music? Do you know these names at all? Tony Vincent? I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, I don't know Tony Vincent. Um, but I'm trying to think. There's another guy, Eric um, something. I th- other... thought something Eric. Anyway, it, it was very pop music for Christian. Eric Champion. Eric Champion. That's what it is. I said Eric Clapton. Yes. <laughs> the power of Google. That's right. Eric, oh, yeah. <laughs> so Eric Champion. I was like, okay. When, so when they did these, when Joe Hogue redid my song in in a way he thought was more in sync, to me as a someone who's so saturated in Christian music, I didn't really listen to a lot of mainstream stuff at the time, and I I was like, oh, this sounds kind of like Tony Vincent and Eric Champion and. It was like, I don't know if it feels like it's me, you know? I feel like it feels weird, but I'll do it, you know? And so I did. I did this demo, stacked the vocals. It was a very big learning experience, you know, doing this pop thing. But I had that CD, and um, then it started growing on me. I was like, okay, I think I could do this. The reason I'm bringing that up is just to share this story, but also to let you know where music was happening, you know? It's like, yeah. And um, so so I had that. That was on a CD. What am I supposed to I was like, I'm going to print up 
the CD. I got my demo for that, and I was like, I'm gonna print up a bunch of CDs and I'll sell them, you know. And I and I went and I right. sent the file to the CD duplication place in Nashville, and I went to pick it up. I printed like a thousand CDs. I'm gonna I'm gonna sell a thousand CDs, and I and I messed up, and I sent them a mono file. So I don't know if people know <gasps> when you're listening to music, you have left and right channels, like and headphones, on, you know. Oh, no. And and music is produced yeah. in that way where they'll they'll put the guitar on one side and the piano on the other side and that's what yeah. makes music for people who don't know that's what makes music sound so big and in stereo back in the in the 50s yeah. and, and earlier they would just have everything in the middle and very small you know sounding so right. i had paid all this money to have this stereo track and i i sent the mono version i don't know and they printed a thousand cds oh. in the mono version and i was like eh. i was so oh. non-confrontational that i was like oh it sucks it's my fault and and i took the thousand cds and and sold them <laughs> in mono, and um, <laughs> actually I didn't sell all of them, but I you know started selling them. Anyway, that was um, you know my beginning artist stages of me trying to be an artist, trying to figure this out, and and um, and then eventually I was like, I gotta move to Nashville, or someone told me that you gotta move to Nashville if you're serious, and so that's what I did. I moved to Nashville. Um, I was 19 years old, maybe 20, almost 20, and um, I moved. Um, yeah, I lived in Antioch, Tennessee. Like everybody who comes to Nashville for the first time, they, they it's it's funny because that's the cheapest place to live. You're like, let's just go out there, you know. And um, and so I was out yeah. there, and and I got a job at the at the uh, shoe store in the in the small, and um, and uh, yeah, just going for it, you know. And I, and I knew the power of networking, like I said. So I'm just saying yes to every opportunity that comes, you know. And it wasn't right. like a ton of opportunities were coming, but somewhere <laughs> in there. Um, oh, okay, okay. Now I'm real. Now it's funny as you tell the story, you realize, oh, this is what happened. Um, so I'm in yeah. Nashville. I moved to Nashville, but I get a a call from uh, a lady who played piano at our church, who knew the guy who taught me chords. You know, the piano teacher who taught me chords. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yep. and so she was saying, hey, I heard you moved to Nashville. Um, there might be this opportunity for you to. Uh, play piano for this southern gospel artist right that's that's even different genre, yeah. genre than i was used to and and yep. you could play southern gospel and um you know it could be a paying gig and you could do that and so i thought oh maybe i could do that so i was open to it so i went and, and i met the manager and it was for janet pa- janet pascal was the name of the the artist and um i i ended up trying to do I, I ended up playing live my audition was playing in the show they're like here's the chords play it oh. and I was like Ehh! and uh, I, I totally here's the deep end yeah, I totally Go. butchered it it was horrible I was playing along with tracks but I'm like flubbing all over the place yeah. and and they knew it and and they were like well, hey, that didn't, that didn't go too well. Maybe you got to learn the songs, but we still want to give you a shot. We'll let you learn the songs. Why don't you sell merch for us? And that way you can be exposed to the songs. And when you're ready to take over, you can take over. Well, she was doing shows right. with the vocal, with the Gaither vocal band, which is, um, I'm sorry, oh, or yeah. the Gaithers. It was the big homecomings where all the Southern gospel artists come together. Oh. And they, they do these like yeah. 10,000 or more seed auditoriums. And, and pack the place out. So they're big shows, but it was just, it was, it was Southern Gospel music. And, um, yep. and you know, I, I, that wasn't, uh, um, I, that wasn't a passionate genre of mine. You know, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a Southern Gospel. <laughs> Side note, I actually had a job as a, as a, uh, in high school 
where I DJed Southern Gospel music just for a short time. That's funny. I just realized that. Wow. So I was familiar enough with these bands that I appreciated sure. who they were. I was like, oh, I know those people. I used to play on my radio. Oh, I know those people. Yeah. So it was kind of it was kind of cool. Um, so anyway, being at in that, um, there was a manager who managed um, a Southern Gospel group that was more of a contemporary Southern Gospel group called the Martins. And he came up. Okay. He he came up to me, and he. Um, oh yeah, we were in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and um, they 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 said, "Hey, um, we don't have enough hotel rooms. You mind bunking up with somebody from the tour?" I'm like, "Sure, okay," and um, so or sharing a hotel room. And so I had to share a hotel room with this guy named Brian Hudson, and he was the manager of the Martins. And and so we hung out that day, you know. And and um, he's like, "Man, he's like, you know, he's like, I like you. He's like, he's like, I want to tell you, there's a guy." A friend of mine um, who's putting together a Christian Backstreet Boys or Christian In Sync, and uh, so I think you'd be perfect for that. And I was like, eh, nah. I was like, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm interested in that. And, and so he literally said that I counted six times that day, and then finally the sixth time wow. I said, you know what? He says, oh, no, I'm gonna. You should do this. I'm gonna. I'm gonna tell the the guy who's putting the band together to uh, to reach out to you. And, and and I said, you know what? For real, don't don't have him call me because I um I know I'm non-confrontational. It's just I don't want to have to go through that whole thing and say no and all that. So here I am being non-confrontational <laughs> to tell him. <laughs> not, you know, I was like I just know it's you know I want to have you know don't have him call me is basically what I said. And uh, so he's yeah. like okay okay okay. Well, so uh, the end of that t- we toured on the weekends. So uh, at the end of that weekend tour, I go back to Nashville at my uh, apartment and I um. Uh, I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, so this is no cell phones back then, or maybe right. I don't remember. <laughs> well, only for a few, a few folks, yeah. not too many. So I right? don't know if I had a cell phone. I, I may have maybe had one, but anyway, he, so he calls my landline, right? And, um, and I pick it up and it's Mitchell Solaric. It's the manager who eventually oh, yes. would put plus one together. Um, one of yep. the, one of the guys who, who put that together. And, um, and, uh, he said, Hey, I heard you might be interested in doing this band or, or i'm putting together a band it's christian in sync i heard you might be interested in auditioning we're, we're having an audition and i was like okay well when is it you know thinking i'll go along and see what the facts are he's like it's going to be uh, right. an instant record deal with atlantic records you know that got my ears I was like, oh, okay what is this right um right. It, the auditions are going to be in san francisco california you know i had never been to california so i was like huh Maybe I'll go to California. I don't even know where San Francisco is, but it sounds fun. Right. I think I've heard that on TV, or I've seen it. You know, the, you know San Francisco, right? And um, right. and then uh, he says, "But the auditions are tomorrow. Can you do it?" And I was like, "What? Tomorrow?" So then I started thinking, "Well, aren't flights really expensive?" So then I started going, "Wait, this is big time, man! They're gonna pay for my flight, yeah. you know?" And I was like, "Okay, yeah." I said, and I had cold feet. I was like, "Let me think about it. Can I let you know?" And and he says, "Yeah, call me back." So. I hang it up. I had a roommate at the time, and, and I said, "Hey, I got this opportunity. I think, I think, should I do this?" And he's like, "He's like, man, you don't want to be in a boy band, <laughs> you know?" <laughs> and I, man, forget yeah. that. And I said, uh, <laughs> "I said, yeah, you're right. You know, I, I was like, I don't, I don't want to be in a, in a boy band. I, I feel like it's not doing what I really want to do. You know, I want to be a solo artist playing the yeah. piano. I want to be Michael right. W. Smith, you know." <laughs> and <Yep. laughs> um, and I and I so I said, "Yeah, I, I need to call him and tell him I'm not going to do it." So. I, I called Mitchell back and I said, "Hey, I want you know, thanks for the opportunity, but um, if I'm honest, um, I feel like the only reason I would do it is to is to get a free ticket to California, <laughs> and and um, you know, I was like, I don't want to waste your money, so thanks for thinking of me, you know." And um, he's like, "Oh, he's like, 
okay, well, you know what? Um, thanks for being honest. Maybe we'll we'll do something, you know, in the future. And I'm like, eh, okay, you know, in my head, like, I don't. Yeah. What would that be? I don't know. And uh, yeah. <laughs> and so. Um, Sorry, the audio in- engineer in me is trying to see my, my levels on my microphone <laughs> that I'm sending you. Right now. Um, so anyway, so I, uh, uh, yeah, that was that. And so I went back and we said goodbye. And then I went back out on the on the road with Janet Pascal, the Southern Gospel artist I was supposed to be learning how to play the piano for. And uh, I naturally told her and the crew, hey, I had this opportunity and I said no. And they were like, you said no? What? You should never turn down a networking opportunity, even if you don't want to do it. Cause, you know. And I was right. like, what? They're saying this? I felt like a, uh, it was so selfish of me to do. Man, maybe like I should have done doofus. that. Ah. And I was like, man, I, I lost my chance. And I was like, man, that stinks. And, I, and so I, I remember distinctively going, um, okay. I was praying. I was like, God, it, is this... Was this an opportunity? I, you know, I came to Nashville and I'm praying, Lord, direct my steps. I wonder if, what I'm supposed right. to do. I was like, if this is an opportunity that I'm supposed to do, and and you want, and this is the way it's supposed to go, I'll I'll walk through it. And um, I was like, I guess have them call me back, and you know, I'll take that as a sign. You know, well, I, I, at the yeah. end of that that weekend tour, I get back to Nashville, and um, guess who calls me back? Mitchell Soleric. Mitchell calls Solaric. me back on the phone. So I'm like, <laughs> okay. Well, I think it's a sign. And so he says, hey, I know you said no, but we had the auditions, and we still are looking for one more guy. And um, and I'm realizing at this point, they had never heard me sing, okay? And I'm like, what is this? You know, I, I knew I could sing. I, I had developed my voice then where I was like, yeah, I can sing. Yeah. Um, but I was like, what is this? And um, – yeah, so basically I was like, okay, cool, yeah, I'll, I'll audition, thinking, cool, I'm going to get a flight to San Francisco tomorrow. You know, he's like, well, there's a, right. there's a guy in Nashville, Tennessee named Barry Landis. You can go um, audition for him. He's the, the president of, a, of Atlantic Records in Nashville, the Nashville division. And um, I was actually a little let down, like, oh, I don't get to go to California, but, but I get to go to <laughs> a record label for the, you know, in the president's right. office. This is huge. You know, I was like, yeah, I'll do that. So I went to go see Barry downtown Nashville on Music Row. It's a big deal. I bring my acoustic guitar, even though I'm a piano player. I still learned how to play the acoustic, and uh, and I was like, I'll bring my acoustic and I'll I'll show him my 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 pop in sync like CD that I made a long time ago with Joe Hogue, you know, and I'll show him that right. as a way to showcase what I could do vocally, and then I'll just play something that I wrote on the guitar. So I, I go in there and I I play something on the guitar, and he, uh, I think literally it was like five seconds in, he goes, okay, okay. That's it. Enough. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I something went wrong. And he's like, that's it. You're in. You're in. You got it. And I was like, oh, whoa. OK. He's like, no, well, okay. you're in. He said, you're exactly what we need. We're looking for somebody with a high timbre in their voice. And I sang something high and I have a very airy voice. And, high. and he's like, you'd be perfect. And so and he's like, if you want to do it, you're in. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah. And so he showed me pictures of the other guys. They had like these these eight by ten kind of thing. Like eight by ten. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh. And so then it started hitting me. Where like, well, this is for real. I have to commit to this. And I started seeing the other guys, and I and and I don't know these guys. You know, I, I feel like I have to now merge my life with these guys. So then I started like right. subconsciously judging them. Like I don't even know who is that guy. I don't know this guy. What is you know? I mean, I'm yeah. being funny saying judging them, but I'm but I just didn't feel attached. Right, I didn't right. feel attached, and I was like ah, uh, and I and I said so. I said. Can I let you know? I'm not sure. <laughs> I want to do it. 
<laughs> he, and he's like, oh, okay. And I was like, I don't know. I got some other things going on. I'm just not sure. And and I did think I had some other potential things that were happening. As sure. time went on, I realized they weren't as strong as I thought. And um, I said, let me, I'll let you know tomorrow. So I get home and I tell my parents, like, you're crazy. You you definitely, you prayed about this. The guy calls you back. Yeah. What, you know, <laughs> how much more of a sign do you need? And I was like, yeah, that's true. I'm going for it. I'm just having cold feet and noncommittal. Yeah. So I so, saw. Well, I mean, yeah. to to your point though, to your point, it is a big it is a big change, oh, yeah. right? I mean, you're it's at the stage where it, we're talking about the boy bands in general, and the boy bands have been blowing up, right? And they're huge, and you can see from like an outside perspective how much that has. They are an entity of five, right? You think about the Backstreet Boys, you think about NSYNC. They are a group. They are a group that travels together. They live together. They perform together. Yeah. And so you've got, like, that has to be, like, floating around somewhere, like, in the back of your yeah. mind. Plus, also, like, you've been on this track of being a solo artist. And now it's like, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're the fifth of five members. Here's the eight by tens of of Nate and Jason and Jeremy and Gabe. And here you yeah. go. You're Nathan. Yeah. You're number five, and it's like, well, wait a yeah. minute. I'm no longer an individual. I'm a collective, and that's got a that's 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 a lot of change. And it can it can it's easy for us to laugh about it now. It's like, well, of yeah. course, like <laughs> duh. But but I think in the moment, right, and also being like pretty young, it's and in Nashville at a record yeah. label, it's a lot. There's a lot of it's a lot, right? Yeah. At, at one, yeah, yeah, and so yeah, so I went for it, and and it was a still waiting game. Even though I knew I was in the band, um, we didn't sign anything yet. You know, it was just kind of like, uh, I guess technically looking back, it could have fallen apart at any moment. But um, I still yeah. went back. Oh, yeah, I still lived in Nashville, and um, I think it was like six months of waiting. It was a while of just like, okay, this thing's gonna happen later. I think that that's what it was. And so anyway, so when we actually, as far as moving together, so we ended up all moving to San Francisco. Yeah, all moving to San Francisco in a one-bedroom apartment, downtown San Francisco, on Sutter Street. <laughs> and um, that's how I met the guys. And, um, yeah, and, and we were just thrown in it. And, you know, we, we got to know each other really, really well, really quickly. And it was it was fun. And, and then I started going, whoa, this is yeah. this is amazing. These, these guys are great. And it became the best times of, of my life in some ways. You know, it was just very <laughs> amazing, you know. I love it. I mean, so what I'm going to do for the listeners, because Nate and I did quite a bit of a deep dive as far as like the discography of Plus One. Mm. So I don't want to retread that. But what I do want to do before we end this segment and get on and move on to the final part of the episode, I want to ask you, there were so many things that happened in such a short amount of time with Plus One, right? You, You had the promise, which just exploded everywhere, certified gold, right? And then you had, um, you had uh, Exodus at the end, and then why am I blanking on obvious. the second one? Uh-huh. Obvious, obvious. It's obvious. You had You're obvious. You had the Christmas. It. <laughs> right. It's obvious that it's obvious. I don't know why I missed it. It's so obvious. So it obvious. The Christmas record, and they ended with Exodus. So out of those four, and then with Exodus, it was just you, Nathan, and Gabe at that point. Yeah. Or you, yeah, Nate, right. and Gabe, uh-huh. I should say. Yeah. Right. And so, so out of out of that entire time, which is a lot, and we've, and for those who want to know more in detail, you can go listen to the Nate Cole episode. But I want to know from you, what what maybe are one or two distinct memories that you have that still stay with you to this day? I mean, I got a lot of memories. Um, sure. Uh, you know, when someone asks me a question like that, something that, that sticks out is um, this Christmas party. <laughs> It's far, you mean as far, as far as an event that happened during those records, or you mean something on the record? Yeah. Okay. So I would say, one, maybe an event that happened, and then two, maybe um, uh, 
a lesson that you learned about yourself okay. that you have continued to carry forward? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. I'll go with a fun one that comes to my mind. Um, sure. I, one distinct memory uh, was we were in LA, living in LA, and um, we we were officially plus one. We were signed Atlantic. David Foster. We had produced our record, or we were very close to being done with it. David Foster was producing it, and David was 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 just kind of letting us come to all these different parties and showing us around so we could get our name out and work within his network. And one of those situations was a Christmas party that Josh Groban was was singing. He was he was a new artist on his label, and I was like, "Who's this Josh Groban right. guy?" Yeah. And um, and it was Josh Groban, and then us, and um, we, we like like the the we were the musical performance. And um, but it was at Carol Bayer Sager's house. She's she's a, a songwriter who's written lots of songs. I think her her biggest. Or the one that I knew was um, "That's what friends are for." I think she wrote that. I could be wrong. Mm. Ho- hopefully, I'm not. But um, but so it was at her house in Beverly Hills, and um, we're in a living room, right? But the living room is all decorated very Christmassy, like you see in the movies. And and right. everyone in the living room, um, literally, Kevin Costner, Jack Nicholson, Goldie Hawn, Kurt Russell, wow. uh, that kind of. Or, you know, people, I mean, yeah. I'm going blank. Nat- Natalie A-list, Cole, yeah. Nat King Cole's daughter, you know. Um, right. Johnny Mathis was there. Jeez. And um, many others, wow. just packed full. And so it literally, I'm like, I can't believe this. We're hanging out. We're, you know, sitting in the audience with them. the audience. It's a living room, you know. And then we go up on this little, right. it's not really a stage. It's just go up and sing. And um, and it, it was so, it's such a cool feeling that uh, it felt like I was in a movie, you know, and Christmassy. <laughs> and and we had disposable cameras. We didn't have iPhones back then, you know. So right. it, you couldn't really document it in a in a way. It felt weird to do. Like, wait, wait a minute, whoa, 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 no pictures. You know, it felt weird. Now you right. now you can yeah. pull out a cell phone. Hey, can we do a selfie? And we're like, yeah, whatever. Right. So then I was like, oh, I can't. So I, there's a lot of memories like that that happened. But that's one that really sticks out because it was so like crazy. Like I remember we were singing Silent Night. And you hear Jack Nicholson on the front with his smoky, you know, voice. Silent night. And it was just like, what? <laughs> you know, all these textures that, and, and, and Kevin Costner. It was so crazy. It's cool. So that, that's an event that, that sticks out that when people ask me, I, I think of that. But um, as far as something I learned on the record, um, uh, you know, I, I when someone asks a question, you naturally think, oh, I should have a deep, a deep answer. But here's something that's not so deep, but this is what I learned. Um and, and it really uh, changed my production. Um, when we were recording vocals, David Foster would, I know a lot of people know, like when you're singing, uh, you, you lay down a track of a, vo- of a vocal. La, 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 la. And then if you want to make that vocal sound bigger, you sing la, 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 la again, right? And then you can sing la, la, yeah. la, la, again and again and again and, until you have what we call stacks, many of them happening at the same time, and they and they put them left and right and in stereo, and it just sounds huge. So when you do that on, on a chorus, especially with a boy band, it's just this luscious, lush vocal, you know? So anyway, that was yeah. happening. It's called stacking your vocals. And, um, and uh, I was, you know, trying to stack my vocal, and I remember David saying, uh, listen to yourself. Listen to the listen to the the vocal you're trying to stack. Don't just sing. Listen listen to the other part that's there. And mm. as basic as that is, that I carry that with me today. Where I'm like, and I tell that to, to other people. I'm like, wow, it's true. A lot of people just want to sing, but it's like you literally, you know, yeah. if you take the time to listen, you can stack yourself great. And it's more of a mental thing versus an audio thing because you hear it, but when you when you mentally try to hear it, then you're able to follow your vocal and, and stack yourself great. Yeah. 
it, that's kind of a nerdy technical thing, but that's something that stuck no. with me that I that it's influenced me. So, you know, one thing that I'm passionate about, and I keep telling people this in my in my day to day life, is there are lessons around us everywhere, and you might hear stacking your vocals. You might hear me listening to what you're trying to match and go, that's just a music thing. It doesn't apply to me in whatever industry or whatever thing I work on. But the lesson that you peel out of that, that you can scale to anything else that you're doing is being aware, being present, being fully immersed in what you're doing. And then when you're able to do that and be able to be present, then you're able to deliver more than what you could do if you're just trying to just steamroll ahead with whatever you want to do. That's a good point. Yeah. And, you know, I think. I, so it was deep. It's a, yeah, it was. So that was deeper than I thought. That's true. You know, and I think some of that carried out to even being in a band. It's like um, as a vocal group, you know, we it's important to listen to each other. It's like it was a, a lot of soloists. Yep. If you put a bunch of soloists only together and they sing together, it sounds horrible. But you, you got to have yeah. people who actually sound know how to feed off of each other's uh timbre of vocals and when there's vibrato happening and and not happening and and that's how you make this blend happen so i think um right some of us in plus one could do that better than others <laughs> there's some there's some <laughs> in that group who you know are very strong lead like you know I, anyway <laughs> i love it well that was that was excellent so we're gonna go ahead and uh take a break so you're listening to after the encore i'm your host joe shaw and we'll be right back after this Welcome back to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I am here with Nathan Walters. And now we've we've moved a bit beyond plus one. And what I want to talk about, there's a couple things I want to talk about before we get into production. One, I want to talk about um, your solo album. So when you left uh, when you left plus one in 2009, I believe you had your solo yeah. album released, or was it 2008? I think it, I think it was 2009. Nine. Somewhere I can look in there. On Spotify, but I think it was yeah. nine. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk about um, the motivation, the stories behind that, and then I also want to come and talk about 2014 and Plus One coming back for like a single. Oh yeah. And then what that was about. So let's let's start with the solo album. So when Plus One folded, so 2004, I think, is when y'all kind of went your separate ways. Uh-huh. 
What was that period of time like from 2004 until uh, releasing that solo album in 2009? Yeah, I just looked on Spotify. 2008, I think, is what it is. 2008. Yeah. Dece- 2008. December 2008. So, yeah, almost 2008. Um, yeah, so, so is it 2004, 2005 is when we kind of officially kind of ended the Plus I One thing? I believe so. It was after the Exodus tour, and I believe yeah. that was in right around because Exodus came out in 03, yeah. so I believe it was 2004 is when the tour. Yeah, arrived. and that ended kind of like what are we doing? <coughs> Let's put this on hold, kind of thing, you know, knowing that probably not going to come back, but we'll see. And so Nate and Gabe, they moved to California. I almost moved to LA. So what happened is I um, was planning on moving to LA, and then um, we all kind of got married around the same time. You know, I I ended up yeah. marrying um, Ina Rud. <laughs> Rud. <laughs> Ina Rudd and um, and Ina my wife she's Ina Walters now obviously I don't know why I'm talking it like that um, so Ina was uh, really close friends and best friends with Nate's wife now Lisa and so that's how I met my wife was was through Nate and Lisa's online relationship <laughs> that they eventually met each other and, and then I uh, ended up meeting Ina so so um, so 2005 I got married to Ina and um so that's what happened there. In the meantime, before yeah, before getting married, that was about a year. I was trying to make my solo record, and um, that's been going on for many years. So I got yeah, married two thousand five, and didn't release until two thousand eight because I just kept redoing it. You know, <laughs> I was doing it by myself. Yeah. And um, right, I yeah, I, it was well. Was, I actually there's more than that. I actually signed a a, a record deal with uh, what's now called Capital Christian, but then it was called uh, what was it called? Rocket Town Rec? Rocket? No, not Rocket Town. Uh, Reunion Records. Reunion Records. Right? Oh my gosh, who did I sign? <laughs> was it? No, Forefront. <laughs> Forefront. I don't actually. Forefront Records. Yeah. Forefront. Forefront. Yeah. So Forefront Records, and um, Forefront ended up getting sucked in into EMI CMG, which is now called Capital Christian. So that being said, the same people who who sucked in that deal. I naturally, I signed this solo deal. And I thought, cool, I'm going to really release a new solo project, working on these songs. When they sucked in, when they bought out that label, um, a lot of artists got dropped. And I was like, oh, no, I'm going to be one of them. You know, of course, I'm a new artist. Mm-hmm. And and they were like, oh, no, we're actually going to keep you and, and put out some music. So that being said, I'll make it quick. There was a lot of pressure to make sure my, my thing worked because they were trying to do a new thing where they were only doing singles deals, not record deals. We're just launching singles. Well, the song right. I was working on it had too many cooks in the kitchen, everybody's speaking on what the sound like, and it's, it really started not sounding like me and what my original version of wanting to even do this deal. And so I asked out of the deal, slash I think they're probably going to drop me anyway because we're, we're against <laughs> you know, each other musically. But they, it, we parted ways in a, on good terms. I got to keep my masters, the, the recording. I got to keep yeah. my advance. Everything yeah. was great. We just parted ways, which is kind of was unheard of, actually. And um, and I'm still in good yeah. relationships with those people today, and um, so I uh, so that's what happened. And then I was like, wow, well, what am I gonna do now? I got all these songs. Who's gonna produce my record? You know. And um, I was trying to do a co-production with Matt Bronley, producer, and um, and then um, there's some other producers I was talking to. And then finally, I just got the confidence to go. I'm just gonna produce my own record. I'm just gonna do it. Um, I think I can do it. <laughs> and so so I did. Yeah. And eventually I put it out. And when I put it out, MySpace was the thing back then, you know, before Facebook. Yep, it was yep. MySpace. And um, uh, I put it out on MySpace. 
and oh, I'm trying to think of all this. Yeah, it, it got, you know, it did well. It is streaming a lot of streams back then, which is you can't monetize from it on MySpace. But it, nope. but what happened is people were, 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 were liking it, you know, and, and I wasn't really promoting it correctly because I didn't know how to truly promote it. The label was doing all that. You know, right. I'm thinking, cool, I did a solo yeah. record. I'm going to magically sell records because... I already have a fan base, you know. Plus, right. plus records were changing. The whole industry was changing then too. People records weren't even selling, yeah. and and streaming was in a different way. So, I um, what happened is people started saying, "Hey, who produced this record?" So, you know, and I was like, "Well, I did." And um, and then like, "Will you do mine?" And I was like, "Uh, I guess uh, I'm." You know, I'm thinking in my head, "I want to be a solo artist." I guess yeah okay I'll do it right and and I had no value even though plus one I'll just be transparent records cost a lot back then to make we were we would pay sometimes sixty thousand dollars for one song to a producer, and and wow. sometimes a hundred thousand wow. dollars really, and and so records were very expensive to make and then and then later they started dropping and um, but even then people say how much would you produce a record and I was like I don't know a hundred dollars <laughs> for a song you know. <laughs> Because I just do it for fun, and I and I and I still didn't value myself as a producer, yeah. even though I, you know, whatever. And um, so I was doing that, and then I realized, wait a minute, there's a thing here. I can I can get paid <laughs> to do records, and so I started doing that for independent artists, and and started growing that, and um, I still put out my solo thing, but I slowly morphed into producing for others, and then then I did that probably f yeah. for uh, five years or so really just getting by and not really treating it like a business, not really trying to let people know yeah. I'm doing it. I was literally just getting lucky or blessed every month that, well, it's working out. And then one day I realized, wait a minute, I'm going to do this like a business. How, what do I got to do? How do I t need to take myself seriously? And so I got a studio, and you know, and, and I knew a lot of people like to come from out of town to Nashville. I was like, instead of them, right. instead of them coming to my house – Let's go to music. Where can I really make this a cool experience? And just for myself, yeah. feel confident about it. So I got a I got a studio on Music Row, and and that was that was a game changer because it was it made me feel confident in what I'm doing, and I made great records and um and yeah. So I started working with a lot of artists. So that's that's what actually what I do now, uh, mainly is, is produce for for artists and. And so I, I really at first fell into it, but now I, I love doing it, and it's cool because I'm able to do. It's primarily pop music, but on different aspects. You know, sometimes it's like a hard rock band. Yeah. Sometimes it's folk music. Sometimes it's electronic, film and TV, whatever. And um, and so that that's that's what I've been doing on that. And so slowly, all along, I'm like, well, maybe I should do another solo record. And and I would just put it off until recently in 2021. <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna do yep. it. I have been making dreams come. True for all these independent artists, getting them on Spotify playlists, getting them in film and TV cuts, you know, helping them launch their career. I was like, I, I need to, I need to do that. I know what it takes now in this culture, uh, the Spotify streaming culture, on, on how to yep. launch a, a career. It's just now I just need to do it. That being said, right, you know, I, I started going. I'm gonna release some music. So I'm, I'm in that phase now. I, I love producing. I'm doing that, but I, I have some songs that I. Um, I'm working on now to to finish up and and put out, and I have a whole strategy on how how I'm going to release them. But uh, I thought, you know, not to, in 2021, I put a, a first single that I had put out in like 12 years called called yeah. knew it. Yeah, <laughs> that was the moment I knew it. Is the hook. <laughs> it is. You know what I think is so fascinating when you're talking about the the production is the fact that <clears throat> there's been several people that we've talked to. Um, 
on the show. So Todd Pipes of Deep Blue Something, Owen Thomas, who is part of the Elms, Nathan Walters today, who who dabbled in the production side either after being in the band or as part of it. And then people saying, hey, who did your records or who did your materials? And it's like, oh, I did. And then people saying, hey, I like the way you put stuff together, right? Yeah. Can you do it for me? And I think there's such value in being able to recognize um, the benefit that you as an individual bring because you've got your own experience in the industry and then both from the production side and the performing side and then also your perspective. So we talked a lot about like a lesson of like listening to the other vocals, stacking the vocals, like here's these different ideas or not ideas, but uh, influences that you're able to give because of your perspective. And I, I mean, and you do, uh, you've done a ton of great work and then working with all of these incredible artists. So it's something that you're adding your impact has increased a thousand fold from from your time in plus oh, one yeah. because of the impact that you're able to continually have uh, on the industry. And, and that I think is, is what's really cool and unique. And those aren't strong enough words, but, oh, but powerful <laughs> Thank you. that I see Thank you. when I'm able to observe as an outsider looking in. That's cool. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I learned a lot in the plus one years. I mean, that's what got me into music production. Like, even though I didn't, produce our bigger records i mean i guess the the uh, exodus record was a co-production thing you know technically but um wasn't as hands-on as i am now obviously but um i learned you know i learned a lot because we were we were working with some of the t- the top not some the top producers you know in america right. ronnie jerkins david foster you know and um there was a, yeah a lot of things that that i learned and really I asked questions, you know, I was interested. I had, I had the production bug then. I was like, I want to do this. But yeah. So I would ask questions, you know, and I think that, that went a long way and I'm very thankful for that opportunity. That's awesome. Um, before we talk about any potential future plans and other, uh, and other things you've got cooking in the, in the, in the mind of Nathan Walters, the, the radical genius. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I want to know, walk us through what it was like uh, to reunite with, with Jason and Gabe in 2014, yeah. bringing Plus One back for a song. What was, what was, um, I would say, uh, what what started that conversation? Yeah. And then, like, what was the, what was the outcome? Like, what was the outcome of that for yeah. you? Okay, so, you know, yeah, you're right. I'm glad, I, I, I a lot of people forget about, or at least I forget that that kind of happened. It was very short. We, I try to make a Plus One <laughs> thing happen, right? And I knew Nate, yeah. Nate was like, I'm not, I don't want to do Plus One. Um, and I still ask him, Hey, do you want think about trying to get the band back together? Do you want to do it? <laughs> and, and I asked Jeremy and Jeremy was like, really? I don't know if I want to do it. I've, I've built this whole other, um, he was at the time he was doing, uh, he's part of the CrossFit. Now he's not, but he, he has a gym, mm-hmm. um, th- that he runs. It's more than just a gym. It's like a ministry as well. Just life changing groups. Pretty cool. Um, he, he was like, I don't know. I, you know, I think I'm over that phase. And so that's, that made sense. It's fine. But I was like, well, could could anybody else do it? Could we still do it? Does it have to be all five? I don't know. And uh, and so Gabe yeah. and I at the time, Gabe was living in Nashville, and we were doing a a co-production thing together. We were producing for our artists together under a a company called uh, Multitone Music, and and so we were doing <laughs> that. And so that was fun. I think that's what really kind of birthed the the re the, the love for maybe doing plus one again because Gabe and I were 
you know, making music together and kind of, it's like, oh, this is fun, you know? And uh, we're like, should we just do another Plus One record? That'd be fun. Why not? So he was on board on, on doing that. And so I said, let's reach out to Jason. Let's see if he wants to do it. So Jason was interested. And um, eventually we did a song. And um, we did it in a way that we teamed up with a another um, manager who um, our deal was, you know, he would he would almost act like a label and finance it, even the marketing side of things. So in order for that deal to work, we had to tour. The, the, the single had to do well at Christian Radio and had to allow us to get X amount of shows to tour in order to make this whole thing work, this, this new arrangement. Okay. I was just a boy playing Little League I was terrified that my friends would see See me strike out Or let the ball go through my legs But Dad sat me down Looked me in the eye and said When it's your time And your number's called Basically, um, it didn't get enough ads at Christian Radio as, as needed. And then, and so, yeah, so I don't think that that plan would work. So it just kind of, we kind of like, we just really, we didn't talk about it. We just kind of let the deal end and everybody part of their ways. But also at the same time, we all started having, or not all, Gabe and I started having kids around the same time. And I think that changed things for us too. We're like, I don't want to be on the road touring, <laughs> you know. And and then yeah. and then uh, I also got the bug to go. Let let's get out of Nashville. We're moving to L.A., you know. And uh, and uh, Gabe and I had stopped doing the the production thing together. And I was like producing artists on my own. And he's producing artists on his own. And I said, Hey, I'm moving to L.A. And he's like, Really? He's like, I moved to Nashville because you were in Nashville. And uh, so I moved to L.A. And then eventually they they moved back to L.A. because I knew they always wanted to go back. And um, so we lived out in L.A. for for um, for uh, at least my wife and I and my daughter um, when she was one when we moved out there we lived there for almost four years and then and then moved back to Nashville so we live in Nashville now and and we had our son out in L.A. so but that was great because for me that helped me really like launch my production thing in a way where I'm producing other artists I started producing. Um, Beyond just Christian music artists, a lot of um, you know pop artists and and things for film and TV, and started scoring more for for commercials and and things like that, and that just was great. Yeah. And and a dream of mine came true actually while I was out there taking that same me- mentality of like okay, I want to be able to give the artists I'm working with like a great experience. You know, like when I was in Nashville, I was like they come to Nashville, they're on Music Row. Then when I was moved to L.A., I was like, man, what's the ultimate studio that you could go to? And I'd see the Capitol Records Tower, you know, in, in Hollywood. You know, it's an mm-hmm. iconic place. And I was like, oh, man, that would be so cool. But, nah, I don't know if that's going to work. Anyway, 
I just I just made the call and knew some people and they're like, yeah, we'd love to. You know, there's there's a room open if you want. And so I I was very timing was great and I had my own personal setup at the Capitol Records Tower. Moved all my studio stuff in That's there. Awesome. It was it was amazing. So um, so now I, I still have access and we'll go there and, and work out of the Capitol building when, when needed but um yeah it's just that, that was that was fun so i live in nashville now and still make records and and sometimes fly out to la depends depends who i'm working with i'm bi-coastal <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is awesome uh any uh well you know we've talked about them quite a bit any future michael w smith collaborations we should look forward to ah, man, i wish you know i you know a dream did come true as, as stalkers as as ish as i was with him uh, he did invite the guys from Plus One. He's like anybody. He invited many people back in the days, 2001 actually, to, to sing on his worship record. And and I uh, obviously responded to the call. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And that was cool because I I got to sing in the ensemble choir on his record and and uh, at my home church, Carpenter's Home Church, which is not there anymore. And it was a very, right. it was pretty cool. And and if you open up that CD, I'm in the middle with my hands raised, you know. So I'm like, I'm in the Michael W. Smith CD. This is crazy. <laughs> oh, that's what I was thinking at the time. I mean, uh, I'm still proud of it. That is awesome. So, I want to know, I want to know before we wrap up, we got a couple last questions okay. for you. So first one. Um, now I got I got to ask because we interviewed Nate yeah. and I saw Nate hanging around in Nashville. Can we expect any uh, any uh, any good magic to come out anytime yeah. soon? Yeah, we should. So um, so he he came out to to Nashville because he wanted to check it out because Nashville's been a lot of people from LA have been moving to Nashville. Okay, <laughs> and that's that's yeah. that's yeah definitely since the pandemic, but even before then, I think Nashville started getting a buzz again. Like they got the new LA. Yeah. But um, but yeah. So, right. so he wanted to check it out, and I was like, "Dude, it's different than the last time you've been here, right?" So he came out, yep. and I said, "While you're here, let's just do some music, you know." And and I'll be honest, yep. I'll be transparent. I'm always trying to talk the guys into doing another plus one record. So I, I said at first it was like, "Hey, maybe we just write and see what happens. Maybe we do plus one. Maybe it's just a pop thing, you know." And and yep. um, surprisingly, at the time he was like, "Yeah, I'm open. We'll see, you know." And um, but then we started talking, and then I said, um. Honestly, let's just make music for fun. So that that's what that was. He yep. came and, and we started dreaming and because um, I do a lot of film and TV um, pitches and, and placements. Yeah. That that was the idea there. Let's write something. Maybe we have like a little side project that's the two of us that we that if yeah. it makes sense, which we did. We wrote up a song that sounded really cool, and uh, we kind of knew our our lanes to stay in. You know that that made it work. And um, sure. And uh, yeah, so we have a song actually that we we have and. Um, and now we're thinking about putting some more stuff together and putting that out. Not not nothing like, hey, we're a big band. It's just more of like a film right, TV kind of thing. It's just for yeah, fun. Yeah, it's just for yeah. fun. So that was fun. It was I love great it. to reconnect with him. So that, that's what that was. That's awesome. Well, as we're wrapping up here, I want to know if somebody's listening and they want to get started either in the music business um, or maybe production or whatever, what is one like maybe life philosophy or mantra or piece of advice that always sticks with you beyond um, always listening, yeah. right? Beyond that, um, that you would like to impart a piece of wisdom that you would like to share uh, with that listener. Well, I think it's stay consistent. You know, a lot of people, um, mm. you know, will go for the dreams, you know, and, and have preconceived ideas and how something will work out. But I found that those who are consistent in developing their skill or honing their skill or, or, or going for their goal um, eventually make it in some way or another. It may not be in the same form. Like for me, I, I yeah. never became that quote-unquote 
Michael W. Smith figure I wanted, you know? And and I'm okay with yeah. it, but I, some other, other things happen. I never envisioned being in a, a pop boy band that traveled the world, you know, and did what we did. I yep. was like, that's amazing. I, I never thought of that. And then I never thought of being a producer. What? You know, who's, who's scoring right. for film and TV and doing these artists, working out of the Capitol Records Tower, you know? And so who knows what's next, you know? Um, so that yeah. being said, I think consistency is, is going for it. And, you know, I, I think you... You know, you have to be passionate about it. Yeah, I think you hear people say, "Don't do it for the money." You know, um, it's true. You know, I'm passionate. If if I if I had another job doing something else, you know what I would do when I would come home and when I had the downtime, I'd be doing this. I love it that much. Yep. And when I'm yep. done doing producing, guess what I do? I sit down at the piano and I make more music. You know, it's just in me. So yep. I do think that's an that's an important element to have to make sure you're passionate about it because it is it is very hard. Um, you're gonna have ups and downs with with any entrepreneurial like thing, you know. But um, so I would say the consistency of putting in the time and, and the work, you know. I love it. Well, Nathan, thank you so much for being on the show today. This has been an absolute delight for me, and I'm sure for everybody listening. Thanks for having me. It was very easy, and yeah, thanks. I'd love to do it again if it made sense. I don't know. Maybe on your other, yeah, your other absolutely. ones. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. I'll have you back anytime. Thanks. Well, listeners. Uh, you've been listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and here to play us out one last time is Nathan Walters. I was frozen the second I saw you. Nothing could take my eyes away from the screen. You were perfect I didn't deserve it And I ate every word up That you said to me And when I realized I could spend my life Staring at those eyes That was the moment I knew
This podcast is powered by Roberts Media Group, your resource for podcast development. For more programming and advertising opportunities, please visit us at robertsmediagroup.co.